three words innovate or die so like that that was it like i i wouldn't credit that to anybody but since a lot of people have, have used it but you know i i've applied that you know uh to the context uh of what we do um and i think that's an important thing to keep in mind Hello and welcome to another episode of the Great Business Minds podcast, the definitive show for the business of digital infrastructure. I'm your host, Jean-Marc Lima, and I use my experience as a digital infrastructure journalist to dig deep into business issues, but also get to know those who build our digital worlds. At Great Business Minds, we would like to thank our sponsor for this year. GBM is now brought to you by Preskill & Co., a leading award-winning City of London law firm internationally recognized for its expertise in the digital infrastructure industry, as well as the telecoms and tech sector work more broadly. Whatever your legal or regulatory needs are, including outer space, Prescott & Co. can support you, so do feel free to reach out to them at www.prescott.com. In this episode, we chat to an accomplished founder within the digital infrastructure landscape. Philbert Tsai is the founder and managing director of Structure Research, an independent Toronto and Singapore-based research and consulting firm devoted to the cloud and data center infrastructure services market with a specialization in the hyperscale value chain. He has covered the infrastructure services space for over 20 years. He is also the conference chair for the annual infrastructure summit and heads up the Structure Research Consulting Practice, which he has advised and provided subject matter expertise for transactions across data center, cloud, and managed hosting with over $3 billion US dollars in value. Prior to founding Structure Research, Filbert was the first hosting infrastructure analyst hired after Tier 1 Research was sold to the 451 Group in 2005 and spent six years as a senior analyst for managed hosting and cloud. Prior to joining Tier 1 Research, he spent more than four years covering the web hosting industry, three of them as a senior staff writer for the web host industry's reviews online and print publications. Philbert holds an, a Master's in Political Science from the University of British Columbia with a specialization in political economic development, and he joins me now from Canada's, Canada's largest city, Toronto. Well, Phil, thank you so much for talking to me. Um, it, it's very exciting to learn more about not only your journey, but also structured research journey. Um, and the event that you're planning in Toronto, uh, but more about that a bit later. Um, usually we start these conversations because this is what they are. They're really just conversations and um, informal chats between um, us and industry people like yourself. Um, talk us through your journey and um, how did you get into the industry? And did you get first into research in another mm -hmm. vertical or did you get straight into this infrastructure research? Um, so how how did it happen? Yeah, um, I think my story is is like many people's. Um, you know, when you ask them, how'd you get involved in data centers, cloud, internet infrastructure? The answer is two words, by accident. I mean, I fell into <laughs> it because I was looking for work. Um, <laughs> so so no, I didn't I didn't jump into research right away. I actually fell into this industry on the journalism side, like yourself uh, many okay. years ago. Um, you know, I, I worked in, so if you back up into the late nineties, early 2000 period, I know you're quite young and you, you were probably just, a just in, uh, in elementary school then. Um, let's not go there. <laughs> yeah, let's not go there. But, you know, back then I, I saw, you know, you remember the first kind of, well, you, no, the point was you don't remember, but the dot com kind of the early dot com kind of wave in the late nineties, early two thousands, I started following tech because I was a, you know, young person in my twenties, you know, jumping from you know, bad job to bad job and just not had no direction career wise, uh, but felt like journalism and tech might be something, you know, I wasn't just a, a technical person, no engineering background, couldn't program computers. So I thought, well, maybe I can get involved in tech in some way. How would I do that? It was the content side or the media side. And then that kind of narrowed it down to journalism. My mother was a journalist by trade. So mm -hmm. I've been exposed to that. I grew up always liking, you know, things like what, yeah, history, you know, was, was my best subject in school. And so, you know, I thought, okay, let me give this a shot. And so, yeah, I started covering tech and it was just broadly speaking, uh, in kind of early gen, early generation web publications getting, you know, so I never did work in print media, traditional, um, uh, mediums. Uh, I basically started writing for the internet or the early days internet, you know, uh, maybe I was doing this for a year and I, I came across a story about, um, you know, when the dot-com bubble burst, 
there was, you know, there were a lot of stories coming out about empty data centers. So, you know, like everybody started to invest and then the bubble burst. And then, you know, people that invested, put out capital, were stuck with these empty facilities that, you know, where nothing was going on and the internet hadn't really developed yet. So that's how I bumped into it. Uh, I lived, I grew up, uh, my childhood spent, you know, now half my life in Vancouver, British Columbia, Western Canada. At that time, you know, when the bubble burst, I thought I needed a change. And so I moved to Toronto looking for work. I, I didn't have a job. I just got on the plane with a bag and decided, you know, what's the worst that could happen? And so, um, yeah, I was looking for work in, in tech media, tech content. And I came across a what we called then uh, a web hosting index. What's a web hosting index? A web hosting index is a, um, a website where you can go if you need web hosting or hosting for your website content. Um, and you can go there and kind of review all the providers that are out there. By that time, you know, even early, you know, 2000, 2001, there were, you know, hundreds of these little web hosters out there, right? And so hmm. covering them was something, not something that anybody did at the time, right? I was one of like a hand, less than a handful of people. So I, I started writing content for web hosting index. Ironically enough, I like to tell this, I don't know if this is too kind of trivial for for your audience but no please do <laughs> that was the second interview my first interview was actually with another web hosting index um you know and their one of their questions was do you know anything about web hosting and i was no <laughs> oh, i thought, I thought <laughs> you would say yes yeah no i said no because i really didn't <laughs> at that time the term web hosting did you know it was very different from data center so it was kind of even though i covered that story you know I, I just didn't have any grounding in the sector or any any really kind of knowledge and then you know a few months later I interviewed for this company that was positioned itself as a media verticals which is what it did but they hey we're trying to hire you for the web hosting vertical now I was like oh wait a minute I think I interviewed for any competitors and funny enough both of these companies were in the Toronto area um mm -hmm. so Toronto interesting again getting a little too trivial right away um has been a bit of a hotbed for, for for the early gen hosting so there's there's a community here so anyway yeah sorry i've gone way off on a tangent already but that was kind of how i i got into it and i did that for many years i went to another publication uh i didn't you know but i you know and i, I started to love the industry covering it um but always felt i wanted to do something a bit you know um a bit more in depth uh you know mm -hmm. i went to graduate school i had a research background in that sense uh studied politics and history, <laughs> um, didn't really put that to use. But, you know, I, I felt that that was kind of where I wanted to go. And and, and that's how eventually I, I got a job in research and you know, I've been doing it ever since. That's really interesting. And I mean, I've known you for a few years and I actually I didn't know, um, <laughs> let's call it the original journey. Um, and I, I can see some some similarities. So maybe um, you just go also give me a, a glimpse of my future. Um, yeah. That might eventually end up with research and consulting. You never <laughs> um, know. <laughs> but uh, this is just, and I love the fact that your mom was a journalist as well, and you kind of followed along um, in the same footsteps. Mm -hmm. So that, that's, that's very nice. Um, I was going to ask, and maybe it is your mom now, um, but who has been your biggest inspiration or someone who has really served you as a mentor? um throughout your career um either pre or after you really got into this mm -hmm. infrastructure research so something that really marked you in your life journey yeah i mean professionally and within this industry i mean there's only one name that stands out and and that's the person who hired me into the research business he's the his name is andy andrew shruffer uh he was the person who founded the first kind of focused uh research group or research practice uh, that completely spent all its time in internet infrastructure and data centers and, and early gen hosting, which we now call call cloud. Um, but he hired me into the business, kind of, you know, showed me, you know, what it took to be an analyst. I thought I felt like, you know, had a really great vision for what um, what the industry could be, but also what, you know, what research could look like to support it. Um, you know, and I and I went with it. You know, I, I, I he was he was an amazing mentor. He, he you know a lot of the kind of skills and and insights and the way he looks at the industry has impacted me um, since since back then and has formed kind of a template and for what we do now. Obviously, a little bit mm -hmm. different. You know, two almost two decades later. Um, but yeah, I mean, he he is he's been the one that 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 you know inspired me. Um, that I think you know gave me the 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 foundation to do what you know to do what I do now, um, and it was it's been very much you know 
I think one of the, the great messages is, is, you know, and we can talk a bit more about this, but, you know, one of, one of his messages was always, you know, be yourself, you know, be bold, um, you know, uh, be true to yourself and, and just tell it like it is. Those are simple messages. Uh, but when you approach they're very research, hard to follow. You know, yes, they're very hard to follow and, and they're applied in different ways in different walks of life and research is no different. So hmm. um, being yourself is something actually that takes what I have found and what I try to impart to the younger associates and, and junior analysts on our team is that, yeah, that takes time to develop. Um, you know, when you go into it, um, it's, it's kind of, you know, you get thrown at it all at once. You know, I mm. went into research thinking I knew something about the industry and realizing quite quickly that, wow, you know, it's going to take me a little bit of time to, to yeah. but, but yeah, but, be true to yourself. Because yeah. So that alone even transcends company culture as well. It really comes down to just human behavior um, and emotional mm. intelligence at some point. So, uh, and that is something mm. that I've always seen that you guys had slightly different from other um, companies in in the industry, um, which might be more overshadowed just by spinning things out, um, and I think that's where you really stand out, and that's why your team also stays for a long time. You don't don't really have revolving doors um, in your office, um, as everyone can check online. People don't really leave after one or two years. Um, they they stay for the long ride. Um, but, yeah. uh, but we'll get into the company like in more detail in more mm-hmm. in depth. Um, as you said, we'll talk about the history um, of structure, uh, but uh, st- still on your journey. So, um, of course, you, I mean, you created a business, um, you're an entrepreneur, um, but what motivates you on a, on a day-to-day basis? What gets you out of bed um, to go and do what you do? Mm-hmm. We've got to pay the bills. I mean, at the end of the day. <laughs> we all do, unfortunately. Um, yeah. Uh, so that's what gets me out of bed, honestly, um, as well as older <laughs> age, you know, you don't sleep as much, but um, honestly, it's, it's, I've never, you know, remarkably enough, you know, um, I've never had a problem just getting up and reading about the industry and being involved in the industry. I've always enjoyed it. And it's that that keeps me going. Um, you know, I've liked it. I've enjoyed the industry, had a passion for it from day one. That's never changed in over 20 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, yeah, that, that's what motivates me. It's just, I love seeing what the sector does. And even though I fell into this sector by accident, it's not a conscious choice. You know, I love, I, I really do love how what this industry does is just so valuable. It is such a, you know, it's, it's you know, uh, digital plumbing, you know, it's, it's, it's as important as, as, as you know, the lights in your, your, your home, you know, the water that comes out of your tap, um, you know, it, it's just so critical to everything that we do um, that, you know, I like being a part of that. Um, yeah, and 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 that kind of just feeds the passion I have for an industry that is so unique. And I've always liked things, to be honest, with you, that are just a little. Uh, what what would the word be, or how would we describe it? Just I in, in, enjoy things that are a little under the radar, right? That's not you know. It, that's when I first got into tech. Yeah, like yeah, everybody's covering these. You know, you know, back then it was these. You know, whatever kind of yahoo for example was like the big thing <laughs> yeah Every, everybody's that. covering that and there and there are in the world you know i don't know how many but you know hundreds of good enterprise software analysts right but how many analysts spend any kind of you know extended period of time following internet infrastructure it's you know getting down to when i started less than a handful and, and even now you know there's so still so few of us who actually have the patience and the time and the passion. So yeah, that's what keeps me going, knowing that we're one of the, you know, we're doing something that not a lot of people spend a lot of time with for whatever reason, um, but that is still valuable uh, that people still need, you know, what we do. And yeah, and then at that base level, just just enjoy, just, just enjoy it uh, as much as, you know, some people follow say, you know, sports, um, you know, music, art, uh, Feel I feel strangely enough the the same way. <laughs> yeah, no, I I don't find it strange at all because I think the the industry. <laughs> I mean, especially over the last five years and now and the next decade and beyond, um, it's really living a, a golden age sort of thing, mm-hmm. um, where there's so much happening. There's so so much capital being invested. There's so many facilities being built, um, and now we're also getting to that point that we can actually differentiate how things are done in different continents. Um, and also look at how the culture is influencing those constructions, um, how the capital is being allocated depending on the, the region, the country. Uh, and I find that very fascinating. It really shows an industry that's evolving and maturing um, quite rapidly, um, also mirroring the rapid demand for digital, for digital um, services and cloud, cloud computing. 
Um, but I was going to ask as a side question, because you, you mentioned mm. utilities and water, gas and all that. Um, mm. There's always this conversation that eventually the whole digital infrastructure sector, telecoms, especially data centers and all that, um, it will become almost like an utility. Um, and then I, I don't know if we'll have to pay a monthly bill like we do. Um, I just hope they're not as high <laughs> as the other bills. But um, mm. do you see do you see that happening, or do you think that's just uh, a conversation and things will kind of stay as they are, where you buy and pay for a service as as you need, it, as opposed to um, having to have it as part of owning a house or something? Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, I, I I it's hard to project so far. I mean, I would have never predicted some of the things that are happening today. Um, you know, I would my my response to that would be. You know, I, I think the world moves very, you know, at least this industry, sorry, I think moves, you know, incrementally in that direction to where it becomes more like that. But I, I would say kind of just the way this understanding how and seeing how this industry is mm. kind of structured, how it's built, how it operates, um, the pace at which it moves, the capital needed to support. I mean, it's, you know, I don't know if it really gets there anytime mm. soon or that I can envision, but um, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think, you know, but I think the direct, you know, the, the trajectory is towards that. Um, but ultimately, I think this, this, this sector is so, I mean, just the way internet infrastructure, you know, is built and operated is, 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 is a barrier in that way to that happening quickly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. Um, so, and then <laughs> one question that I always like to ask everyone, especially people that have actually started mm. a business, um, is what's non-negotiable to you? What what's something that you would never open hand off um, in in setting up a business, in doing business with someone, in just mm -hmm. in just operating as a business? Um, what really is something you will not negotiate over? You mean the the research side or just operation of a business? Um, just you as a mm. as the person. What's something mm. non-negotiable to you in business? Yeah, I mean, for for us, it's putting putting out subpar work. I mean, it's as simple as that for us. And obviously we publish, you know, a lot of content, uh, publish a lot, you know, gather, analyze, and try to make sense of and and tell stories around data. Um, you know, everything we do, what's non-negotiable is the quality of that work and the kind of the, the process that goes into building it. Um, so we have, you know, made a conscious decision to move at a certain pace, which may not be fast enough for some people, um, but maintains the, the quality of the work so that everything we put out, we feel we can stand behind, we can explain um, that there's a process behind it uh, that, that, and we're transparent about how we do this. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that that's the most non-negotiable thing is that we have to stick to our process, no matter how you know long that takes, um, to make sure that we produce work that we consider to be at a level that we have built our reputation on, that our clients expect from us, and that we ask people uh, ultimately mm -hmm. to pay us for. Yeah, well, integrity is a very valuable thing, um, almost unpriceable. Um, and we, we do see a lot of research houses where it's just um, an agglomeration um, often for reports and links, and it just it just doesn't add up. Um, it's just copy and paste from other resources, from other sources, mm -hmm. um, which is not great. Uh, but uh, and then Phil, of course, I mean, we can talk about all the the, the goods and and the, the the gloom of doing business and how everything <laughs> goes well. But there's always a point where things don't go according to plan. So I mean, if you look back um, on your journey, and this can be either your life or structure, you can choose mm -hmm. how how you want to answer that one. Um, what is one decision that you regret making um, and what sort of thing have you learned from that experience and how has it shaped your decision making um, in this day and age? Yeah, that's an interesting one. So, and I'll, I'll maybe I'll answer that from the perspective of, you know, the research business that, that we've mm -hmm. built is that, I don't know if it's a regret, but it's, you know, part of the learning process where, you know, I think, you know, I tried to balance where, you know, where we thought research would be is where research is going than to where it is and trying to, you know, in the early days of the business, trying to create something that maybe the market was not ready for. So, you know, and what I mean by that is creating something that was a little more say automated or self-serve, uh, you know, content, you know, that didn't require as much, you know, you could buy it off the website. You didn't have to interact with the analyst, um, you know, and, and I learned very quickly that, that if you're selling, insights perspective and analysis 
there's a human element involved that you just can't mm -hmm. remove very, you know, we hadn't moved far along enough. Uh, and we still haven't, frankly, you know, uh, I think I started business 11, 12 years ago. So we still haven't moved far enough. And so I, I think that would be my, you know, maybe some regret in the sense that the early years of the business wasted a lot of time trying to, you know, not taking a step back and realizing, hey, you know, maybe old school is still valid. And, you know, maybe we're not at the new school yet. Um, and so, yeah, like anything, I think I felt we learned from that understanding that, hey, you know, things maybe don't, you know, try to assess how fast things are moving uh, mm. before you make business decisions. So, yeah, I, I feel there's also part of the, the, the startup journey, which is trying to push the boundaries. Um, it is important to know when you've pushed them too far, of course, um, which, of course, you seem to have. I think um, that's what we hit, yeah. Yeah, but, but, but it's the startup that can do it. If you go to a, a legacy business, they probably they don't have the bandwidth um, to to try new things because they have too much mm. too much legacy. They have too many overheads. They have mm. too many things um, on their books that they just can't test the waters with. Um, and that's that's the beauty of something new coming into market. Um, it's really testing how far we can push new thinking, um, which sounds it's what you've done. Uh, and then slowly build it up. I mean, if you take a step back, you always give it, you can then walk two steps ahead <laughs> over time. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, and then just just a quick like logistics question, because of course, I mean, running a business, dealing with clients, um, keeping the team motivated and everything, it will, it will certainly require a lot of your time on a daily basis. How do you kind of manage um, your day-to-day? -day? How how do you find time for things? How How do you keep the spirits up? Yeah, I try to get up early, like we are right now. <laughs> so that that's always a struggle. Luckily, but, I'm not in uh, Canada, so <laughs> yeah. So it's early, earlier here. Try to get a head start on the day. Um, you know, the I think that's you know that's important. Um, trying to you know um, trying to stay focused during the day. I mean, it's obviously it's, it's tough to balance. Um, but you know, I think what's great about today's you know the, on you know entrepreneurs today is that and you know you know kind of a post-pandemic period is that we've learned to use all the tools at our disposal uh flexibility is the norm and now hybrid work styles are the norm uh at least you know in, in many industries if not most uh so i've definitely learned to take advantage of that you know i'm obviously not the only person that's at you know taking my you know son to a sports event and pulling open an ipad or you know hammering out an email on the mobile bringing the laptop you know looking for a plug uh to power up uh you know so we take advantage of, of all the tools at our disposal my team is is distributed and remote um you know and we, and we coordinate across time zones so um you know that's the other thing um is that you know we i do take we do take advantage of the fact that um we do have a distributed team so you can operate at different parts of the day fit your team into and your family life uh in inside of that um, and I think that's, you know, to your earlier point, why some of the people on our team have, have stuck around for a while is we try to create a culture where if you get things done, um, that that's what matters. We're not, you know, obviously there are things like deadlines, but if you get things mm -hmm. done, we give you the flexibility across, you know, all, you know, uh, how you want to kind of build and manage your life. Mm -hmm. uh, and if that works for you, um, this can be fun <laughs> and, and this could be a good fit. So, yeah, yeah that's that's what we try to do. And I think your last point really fits back into what we were talking about, the old style versus new style, pushing the boundaries. Because mm. um, nowadays you do have to have the flexibility for young people. Otherwise, you, you will not attract yeah. talent. Yeah. Um, you will not get young people to work at a company if you don't give them the flexibility, um, not to do what yeah. they want, yeah. but to kind of have more of a voice, stay where they want to stay, yeah. um, not having to come into the office every day, in your case, fully remote, yeah. um, but still being able yeah. to, to be connected. So that's very interesting. Uh, but Phil, so- a hard, Yeah, hire people with yeah. families, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we all, and that's the other thing, because a lot of people don't realize, mm. but once you once you run your business, um, not only you have a responsibility towards your employees, you kind of, they're also kind of oversteps into their families, um, mm -hmm. because um, that salary that you pay terms of money is going to help pay um, for their kids' lessons and all mm -hmm. the sort of things. Um, but mm -hmm. uh, Philosoph, before we we finish this first part, and then we, then mm -hmm. we move into the second part, which is more focused on the business and the, the market itself, um, what's been the best and the worst advice you've ever received? Um, you don't have to name the people, but we always like to name it. <laughs> Especially yeah. for the worst. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the, the best advice, I mean, back to, you know, your question about, you know, who was, you know, the mentor, I, I think about that, that kind of had such a profound impact on what we do, what I do, 
Um, and it, it, it you know, it, it's, it's still that, you know, be yourself, be true to yourself, you know, um, you know, um, build something, you know, based on, you know, a, a strong foundation, you know, integrity in the research, tell it like it is those kinds of things, those kinds of messages, uh, and to be, you know, to be interesting, unique and different, um, and then not, you know, don't be different for the sake of being different. That was also part of kind of, you know, uh, my mentor's kind of approach, right? Um, you know, if you want to stand out in an industry that is unique, under the radar, and frankly, you know, sometimes as you can appreciate as a journalist, tough to say interesting and new things about. It's a lot of the infrastructure is a lot of the same thing over and over again, yeah. with huge changes, of course, you know, in, you know, over periods of time, but, you know, on a day-to-day basis, right, you know, it doesn't, you know, infrastructure is infrastructure is there, right, so, um, you know, it's not like following sports or politics, you know, there's something new, a new spin every day, you know, something happened, it's, it's not quite like that in our world, and so, you know, the people who last, uh, who have something interesting to say that people look to, uh, have to to understand you know the difference between being unique interesting and different or just being different for the sake of being different mm-hmm. so that would be kind of again the you know uh, the best advice I've I've received in terms of how to approach the business and how to be a good analyst ultimately I still think of myself primarily as, as a research analyst that's my 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 thing my passion hands on <laughs> um yeah but you know I, I mean the worst <laughs> I, I don't I don't know about worse advice, but maybe <laughs> you definitely I would do. say some, something something that would be more, I would say that the worst advice I ever got was also a bit of a sarcastic comment. Um, you know, the person who who said it wasn't exactly actually advised me that way, but it, but it had a, a both a negative, you know, I mean, it had a positive element as well, which was like, you know, the, the comment was basically like, you know, so when, when are you going to sell out <laughs> and sell out as in like, you know, when are you going to give in to the kind of not, you know, when, when are you going to give in to what a lot of big research houses end up doing, which is, oh. you know, losing that, you know, losing that kind of core focus, you know, losing that that research integrity, you know, um, kind of uh, what, what could the phrase mailing it in, you know, that that kind of thing, um, which which, you know, a lot of research practices, you know, once or they either grow or get absorbed by larger ones. What, what what can happen so the research project gets a bit diluted so hmm. it wasn't really a bad advice it was just like hey you know almost jokingly when is that going to happen to you yeah but yeah. that's a great lesson too so it's yeah. like the flip side is no i'm you know maybe don't do that that easy. yeah you know? i was gonna say like to me if someone says something like that it gives me the motivation to actually go completely the opposite direction <laughs> um just to prove them wrong so <laughs> you kind of flip yeah. the point um as as it works for you really um no but that's very interesting and I, I agree with all that and I, th- I think it still comes all comes down to integrity transparency honesty um and um and i think just being hands-on and actually doing the work um that the company is set out for not just being behind the desk paying invoices mm. and like doing trainings and all that i think actually being out and about meeting customers that's a huge part um of also being successful um well, so I mean, with that, with that, I think we kind of cover the the first part, which is um, mm-hmm. which is your life journey, <laughs> how you got here. Yeah. Um, in the second part, I mean, let's let's talk now more like specific construction, of course, a bit of the research in the markets, and uh, we'll mm-hmm. touch as well on the, the the flagship event you got coming up. Um, I, we sort of already discussed how structure came up, but I don't know if there's anything else you want to add on how structure research started, um, what really inspired you to launch your own platform. Yeah. Um, do, you want, do you want to add anything else to the journey? Yeah, I, you know, I think it picks up kind of what we just discussed. I, I, I mean, I felt like I was part of a larger research organization, you know, and I, I wasn't comfortable in many ways with which the, in the direction the research was going. Um, you know, I felt it was, it, it was just not, you know, it was not being innovative, innovative. It was not, you know, it was losing a bit of its quality. You know, I didn't necessarily agree with with some of the things that were going on. And I thought, okay, you know, you can either, you know, keep going, (laughs) you know, and and collect your, you know, bi-monthly paycheck, uh, you know, or maybe you want to do something different. um, And maybe you want to, you know, try it. And and that would mean, you know, trying it on your own. So, Hmm. yeah, I mean, that that would be the thing. It's just kind of, you know, I, I, you know, I have a passion for research. Like I said, I still consider myself 
primarily as an analyst. And so, and that's what I, you know, in a perfect world would, would just be happy doing all day. Um, and that's, you know, that's what, that's what inspired me. I was like, okay, well, I really care about the research and the quality. Uh, and of course I, I saw things like, you know, I felt this market was, I felt like so few people are doing research in this industry, yet this industry, even back then you could see was going to be just something huge. Hmm. Um, and so I thought, wow, there's probably room for, for someone like me to, to maybe carve out a little niche. I didn't have huge ambitions, you know, honestly, you know, if you, you asked me what inspired me, I mean, my, my original goal, you know, was to, um, just to, uh, be an independent analyst and and replicate my salary you know I didn't you know <laughs> did I hope it could get into something bigger of course but I was like that's my immediate goal in the next two years is to like I gotta you know I just I started a business with my you know my first child was uh, I'm not even six months old so I was like well I gotta you know price the income here um, and that you know that that was it so it was kind of the, the combination of you know you know just wanting to do something different and seeing a market opportunity and i said okay well you know Grab if it. you're gonna do it you gotta do it now <laughs> yeah would you would it be correct to say that um gut instinct kind of played a role in this and um you just listened to your gut to your sixth sense yeah um honestly i just i just felt like like it was part of that and part timing you know i really so you know I, I guess we'll talk a bit about this but i also did see the business another thing to to note is that I felt it was going to become more global. And at the time, 2011, 12, you know, the, the data center cloud research was, was very North America and Western Europe centric. Right. Um, it was not, you know, there was such a lack of coverage in global markets. I was the only person doing it in, on the team I was with. So I felt that was an opportunity as well. So it's a, yeah, a combination of like, I, I felt I had good timing. I felt the industry was ready to explode. And I was like, you know, you know, I think my gut tells me there's something out there. I definitely did not know what it was. <laughs> you yeah. know, I'd be lying <laughs> if I told you I knew, but I was like, there's something out there. You only live once. I got it. You know, I can always, you know, if it doesn't work out, you know, it doesn't work out, but mm. I've got to take a shot. And now, because yeah. I think there's going to be enough opportunity. So. Yeah. Well, it worked out and I'm sure there'll be enough opportunities for at least another 15, 20 years um and beyond that <laughs> we can't predict more than that <laughs> uh, but I, I think what you just said kind of segues well into uh, my next couple of questions as well because um i was going to ask you how your vision has changed um over the years how, how the company's vision has evolved over the years according to all those changes that you said and you just mentioned 2011 2012 where everything was very much focused on us and western europe mm -hmm. um, so how did the vision evolve then to encompass other markets um and then in the middle of all that how do you ensure that the research remains innovative um and again mm -hmm. ahead of competition because back then there weren't that many houses now there's a few more houses mm -hmm. um but yeah. um yeah so how's the vision and how do you remain competitive um in your in your in your sector yeah let's talk about that first like what you know um you know how to stay you know mm. um on top you know how to continue being innovative when it comes to research i think the biggest thing that's changed and has impacted our, as your question, you know, impacted our research process and approach is that there are more, you know, resources out there. They may not look like exactly what we do. We'd be more, I think of ourselves as a more traditional research shop, um, kind of old school-ish with a new school vision, um, if you were, if you want me to sum it up in a tagline. Um, but there, there, there's a lot of, you know, data out there. Um, some of it's sketchy in terms of quality. Some of it's, you know, done with a decent amount of rigor, um, but there are more sources out there and there's a baseline of information about the industry that now is easier to attain. When I started 15, 20 years ago, you know, just a baseline of information was, was fantastic because nobody was doing it, right? That you can throw that out the window. That that doesn't exist now. So what that means basically is that you it's, you know, it's raised the bar, right? And so if you wanted to survive, uh, you've got to continually build, uh, you know, above that. And so that's kind of, you know, you know, our head of research, Jabez Tan, I mean, him and I see eye to eye on this. We spend all our time, you know, whenever we catch up to make sure that we're always doing this, which is to always think about the layer above kind of the, the, the base foundation. So it's almost like the industry itself, right? It's less about the server, you know, the cloud server. It's more about the value that's being driven on top of it. 
Um, and, and so, you know, that it's the same applies the same way. Yes, a lot of people can get a certain amount of data. We still pride in ourselves in being able to, to do it better, but it's the insight and value add and analysis layer above that, that we hmm. continue to try to, to drive and build just more scope um, and to be noted for that. We don't want to be known um, as a data firm. Um, I don't know if, you know, in the past, if people have thought that about us because we've always had good data, good good numbers, you know, good good um, metrics, good KPIs to, to share and interesting, but we want to be the, the ones that people say, hey, they've got great data points and they got a great story behind it as to how they got it, why it's important and how they present that to the industry. Um, so that's that's the biggest thing I'd say in our process is that, you know, I, it's always been a part of the process, but it's been in, in I'd say the change, you know, um, to your question is how much more we emphasize that and how much more we think that's critical to what we do. If you don't innovate, continually innovate, if you don't continue to build into that value add layer, uh, the competition will be able to close the gap on you. And so that's, mm. uh, that's been really important to us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we can't, we can't allow that. Um, and yes. I, I was going to ask as well. I mean, this is a soft question that you answer as far as you can. Um, can you share a bit of the 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 research process uh, and the methodologies that you use um, to build? I mean, I know you just said you're not a data company, but to build your data, to build mm -hmm. your your information, um, to build your reports. Yeah, and and often you know people who are thinking about subscribing to our services ask us. Um, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, what we tell, I'll tell you what we tell them, you know, ours is a multi, you know, it's a multifaceted process, right? So um, it's not based on any technology. So we don't use, you know, it's, it's manual uh, in that sense, labor intensive in that sense. Um, but the, you know, gathering information, insights, data point is just about regular interaction with important mm -hmm. people in the industry. Um, and it's supported by, uh, you know, all the, the resources and sources of information that are out there. Uh, we do not tie ourselves to any one resource. So anything from public disclosures, uh, public company filings, briefings, press releases, um, just conversations, presentations at events or online or on Zoom during pandemics, you know, we kind of aggregate and take all that and then, you know, select what we, you know, kind of decide what we think is important um you know ask questions about things make sure that you know what we've gathered makes sense and then try to find an interesting way to present that so so yeah it's it, there's no kind of like it's very you know like i said it's very dynamic and organic in the sense that we'll just take because this 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 practice was built on an industry that at the time had just no no public information out there so people didn't know anything about the industry and you know capital couldn't get into the industry because there was no information to support decision making mm -hmm. um so as you know um so it was always important for people you know old school old gen guys like me were there in the beginning to you know just get in the approach back then was like just get information any way you can validate mm -hmm. it of course right but get it any way you can and so you know that's changed now there's more you know information out there but we still take that same approach we'll get in information any way we can we'll assess it analyze it make sure it makes sense follow up make sure there's integrity in the process uh yeah and then put and then aggregate and put that together to produce something that's easy to consume uh and make sense to people and of course as as we just talked about you know make sure it's insightful interesting and uh, yeah. helpful to people and those really are the ingredients, but I would add an, an extra one to what you do as well, which is design. Um, mm. And I've always said it to you, I think the reports are very well presented because, of course, data and information mm. in it, it's more important than, than a good design. Mm. But being able to actually have the good design and being able to visually tell the story, um, it's, it is something that not a lot of people can do. Um, and mm. um, it's, a, it's visually engaging. Even when we go mm. to your events and we see um, the presentations like, uh, like Hanley did last year, um, in, in Toronto, it's very easy to consume mm. the data um, because it's, it's not overwhelming. The colors are right. It's it's easy mm. to remember. It's like a photographic memory um, that you yeah. come out with. Um, so that, that's I think that's another extra layer. Uh, a lot mm. of times, especially in research, it does get a little bit overlooked because um, a lot of people mm. don't spend the necessary time on the design front. Um, and that essentially is the first thing that people will buy. It's the visual side of it mm. in the first milliseconds when they look at something. Um, but um, mm -hmm. yeah. I was going to ask as well. Sorry. No, as I say, we take great pride in that. 
Um, that's mm. part of kind of the insights, you know, part of delivering insights is how you display and represent and articulate uh, data. Um, and I, th I, I just, I, th I thought, it was, you know, it was, I, I appreciate you bringing that up, but I think what you'll find from us uh, if you follow what we do, and of course, hopefully become a client, is that you is that the charts and the data and the way we present is it's constantly changing, right? Year to year, you 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 know we we don't have a uniform way of presenting data because we don't think there's um, because the industry you know does not work in a uniform manner. It changes year to year. You know, um, it's changing all the time. It's very dynamic, and so that's why we don't think of ourselves as a data firm. Right? We think of ourselves as a research firm because data firms, you know, usually are built around a certain way of displaying data that is quite static and doesn't change very often. Uh, right. We might be a little more manual and old school, but we are able to to pivot as the industry pivots. And so yeah. our, the way we present is constantly changing. Uh, it, it's more bespoke in in a way. Um, exactly. You're doing things manually. You spend more time and you actually put attention to detail. Um, which again is what's lacking on a lot of platforms. Um, I was going to say as well, because uh, also an important aspect of all this is the people behind the report. So it's the staff. It's mm -hmm. how do you, I mean, how do you attract and retain? We've spoken about the retain, but how do you attract new talent um, in, in the research world? I mean, we know in the data center world engineers and all that, there's a, there's a mm -hmm. shortage of them. We need a lot more, et cetera. But is there something that also happens in the research world? How, how does it work in terms of talent? Uh, and actually, let me throw that out there. Like, do you see anything yeah. being automated by AI in the next five years yeah. any roles that could be taken over yeah well, this, that, so those those are two big ones that you just threw yeah two so let's questions try yeah. <laughs> let's try I'm the gonna, first I'm one i'm gonna get some answer, water now while you answer <laughs> yeah well my coffee mug is empty but no finding finding analysts i mean oh my gosh it's it's one of the hardest things to do um just because you know as i guess from this conversation i mean our our listeners have probably gathered that it's it's just not a lot of people doing this kind of work and probably, you know, not a lot of people want, <laughs> for whatever reason, to do this kind of work. They may not be as, um, they may not feel the same way about it as say I do, um, and that's okay. But yeah, I mean, I I love bringing this. I love when people ask this because you know the the backgrounds on our team are are just so diverse, right? And you know, we basically found people almost like like the way we found the industry by accident so our head of research jabez a little that one was a little easier i worked with him in the research business for a short period of time and got a good grasp of what what i thought he could do he's very young at the time um he has <laughs> we won't let him listen to what you just said yeah <laughs> he was very young at the time yeah oh yeah i, I didn't hear myself <laughs> now he's just that, an old man <laughs> yeah now he's just an old man with, with um but no i mean he has a aerospace engineering degree yeah. Um, but I've always, yeah. And so I've looked diverse backgrounds and, and, you know, and he's, uh, grew up in Singapore, but now, you know, uh, I guess an astro is uh, is us, um, in spent most, you know, more than half his life now in the U S uh, other members of our team come from, you know, um, uh, what was it? Marine biology, uh, <laughs> geography, uh, you know, I have a, a few people in finance. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, so we've, we've have a combination of people with, and then, you know, Sasha in the UK um, came with a, a telco research kind of background and journalism background. So we actually have only had a few people come and do this from with a bit of background on the on the industry. And then the other actually came in with a completely blank slate. So I, I, th I think that that's the challenge. And, you know, to your question, like finding people, it's very difficult to find people with background um, because the industry is so healthy. And people are 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 being you know are are have the opportunity to get great employment uh, at great firms uh, across the ecosystem. Uh, so you're always competing against that uh, when it comes to people with background. Um, there's not a lot of you know analysts out there uh, that you can just go try to hire. And as a smaller shop, you're always up against that challenge. Uh, and so you're sometimes left with, well, can I train up some people at certain points of their career, whether early or mid, that might you know have a you know, interest or, you know, um, and, you know, we've had some, you know, it's not, you know, I can't, I'm, I'd love to say that every person we've tried to train up has been a resounding success. It's not the case, um, but, but we've had some great journey. successes. It's... Yeah. We've, but we've had some successes and yeah, it's, it's tough. Um, and we're always on the lookout. So we're not kind of post a job listing, hope to close it in, you know, hope to fill it in two months. It's more yeah. like, we know we have the capability. Let's look for the right person. And, yeah. 
yeah. That's, uh, yeah, it's all about the company culture and creating that team that sticks together. And that's something, not only it's extremely valuable, um, especially when there's team com- comrades, um, if that's the right words, uh, but when people are quite close in mm. a team and they work mm. very well together, um, and especially when you live in different countries and continents, mm. um, that, that's even more important. Um, but that, that's something that is just extremely in- invaluable. Um, and it takes years to build. It's not something like, oh, I like you, 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 let's build a team and it's done. It, it's mm. several, as you say, like it's trial and error until the right people come yeah. along um, and then you mm. have uh, the A team. Um, which I think you are there. So well done. You've had <laughs> like five, six years <laughs> of a yeah, very... Yeah. Uh... <laughs> and it was and it was a really lean team in the beginning, right? So we, we didn't really... Um, it was two or three analysts for the first five years. Right. And only in the last, say, five years did it expand to, to hmm. you know, four senior analysts, two junior analysts and some contractors. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I should have asked this before. When was structure created? Hmm. Uh, basically, you know, did all the paperwork in in mid to late 2011 and, and basically came to yeah, market early 2012. So, yeah, that's over 10 years now. All right, so well, pretty much eleven years in your in your bag. So that's, that's yeah. very nice, right? <laughs> um, yeah, the first first year on my own, on my lonesome, but yeah. you know, got yeah. company in the Another second pain. year. Yeah, <laughs> um, but AI. Uh, uh, the the AI. Component. Yes, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah, I forgot yeah, about yeah. AI. Like what everyone is talking yeah. about. <laughs> I know. I mean, I thought I'd quickly. Th- I mean, I think we've touched on yeah. that. I, I think you, the you know, list, your listeners, yourself, probably are can you know probably guess my view on it, which is. Mm-hmm. Sure, I, I think that you know, you know, um, there's probably a certain baseline of data that you know AI can can help share. Um, like, you know, yeah. there are already tools where you can kind of go scrape, quote unquote, scrape data uh, out there. Um, but but I, I still think that if you are, you know, and our approach will be that if you can, you know, make sense of it, explain the data, you know, provide insights on top of it, uh, look for interesting helpful um, ways to present it, uh, you know, charts, et cetera. Um, mm. You know, I still think that that is going to be very difficult for mm. machines to take over that, that human, the creativity that, you know, I think we bring to the table and that's going to be our way to, to stay on top of things. And, mm. you know, um, because I think the, 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 I think with so many things in life, uh, whether that be factories, you know, software, um, is going to be automated uh, and taken over by mm. machines, and mm. it's going to push mm. the you know the the value into the more creative and analytical layer, and that's where we want to be. That's where we mm. think we are, and we want to continue mm. to be there. Yeah, yeah. I, I think in your case, with research, is almost um, the conversation that we also have in journalism. It's uh, will AI replace journalists? But it's such a, a strong element of talking with another human being to get the information, to get the data, mm. to get the story. Um, that that's going to be very hard to come by. I mean. I won't say it will never happen um, because um, mm. I think eventually AI will probably take over everything that we do anyway. Um, but that's quite a few decades away, I think, or I hope, um, until we get to that sort of stage where AI can do the job of a human being talking to another person um, and really get the, the the emotions right, get the, the story right, um, get everything. So, I mean, hopefully we have enough time until we retire <laughs> to worry about yeah. that. Um, but uh, I mean, of course, so you've got 11 years of uh, research and the structure research on your belt. Um, has there been like any times where something came up in the research? They were like, I did not see this coming. What like the hell um, is this number? What the hell is this info- piece yeah. of information? Um, can, can you share something that just shocked you in terms of data? Yeah, I mean, let's just continue what we've been talking about. I mean, I would say the two areas are, you know, it's happening now and it happened, say, a decade ago. So I grew up in the industry when it was, and I still describe it as an industry because I think it's fundamental to how it develops. Is It's always been very incremental, right? Infrastructure kind of just develops at a certain incremental pace. There's a strong base. That it doesn't seem to go away, reflects in the numbers, right? Low churn rates, high retention, uh, ARPU growth. Um, across all parts of the value chain, right? From the smaller, you know, hosting cloud stuff to kind of larger data centers. But the two kind of things that struck me, one, we're talking about obviously the AI stuff today. Um, and then a decade before uh, hyperscale was just so kind of out of the ordinary for, you know, the way we thought about the industry, the way we projected, the way we felt, you know, um, the numbers w- would play out were just, 
so different and outside what we were used to um um that that those two stand out and and not surprisingly they're the ones that are shaping the growth of the industry and have shaped mm-hmm. our our practice so yeah i mean when i first saw hyperscale numbers i just could not believe them right <laughs> just like, it's like they want an what? Extra zero in there <laughs> yeah they they want what they're asking for what they're you know they're planning for you know just we just could not conceive of it you know now it's normal mm-hmm. right like now it's like okay like this is and we've seen it with our eyes we visited the sites you know uh seen the numbers and you're like wow okay you know um mm-hmm. you think of it normally now 10 years later um uh, but we're, we're going through the same thing as we speak right now with ai right so that's it's another exploding. level or two up right and you know we mm-hmm. try to be grounded to you know and and make sure that what we see is real but everything that we've seen so far tells us that this is you know my next report i I kind of have a slide that says it you know that asks the question you know hopefully very provocatively is ai the next hyperscale and that and that's a question for the industry our industry Mm -hmm. not necessarily for people it's like is this the next kind of wave of demand for data center capacity and infrastructure um, hmm. I think the short answer is probably yes, but yes. but yeah, it's shocked. It's 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 doing the same thing. It's kind of bringing me back to when we first started tracking hyperscale. It's like, oh, really? That you know, a lot of like, oh, that can't be right. Is that no? Let's double check that. Are you are you for real? And <laughs> you know those kinds of comments. And you know we're still in the process of it. This stuff is yeah. just just changing so quickly. So you know, those are the two that just blew me away. Yeah, and continue to. Yeah. Well, we saw, and um, I mean, now my, my mind has gone blank, but we saw the report from a market notes, I think it was TD Cohen. I, th- I think it's TD Cohen. They were saying mm-hmm. it was like yeah. two gigabytes, two gigabytes, gigawatts um, of data center power that was taken on by clients in the US alone in the first six months of the year. Um, I mean, those things, like 2,000 megawatts, who will think of that? Um, I mean, mm. even when we hear things about 100 to 300 megawatts um, of a project, they're still going to take several years to be to be built and everything. Mm. We're not talking about 2,000 megawatts being taken on um, in the first six months and outside of the hyperscalers as well. Mm. Um, so that's that's yeah. a very interesting point. I was going to ask again, like as a side question, has the notion of uh, what constitutes a, a hyperscale facility changed over the years? Because I guess when I started in 26, 15, 16 in the industry, I think people were like, well, if it's two, three megawatts is a hyperscaler. Then it kind of changed to four or five megawatts is a hyperscaler. Has that notion now changed? Is like, is a hyperscaler now 20, 30 megawatts or even a hundred megawatts mm. onwards? You should, I mean, you should get Jabez on your next podcast and he can yeah. talk, you know, walk you through like 30 minutes on that, just that topic alone. <laughs> but what our approach is, but yes, we, just like you said, we've moved the kind of, um, you know, move the, I guess the, the American football the end of the, the goal, what is it? Move the goalposts or yeah. I don't, I'm not, a, I'm not an NFL fan, so I don't even know the right, <laughs> but you know, uh, we keep moving the number. Um, and then we found that that's maybe not as useful as creating more, more categories and, you know, which is fun mm. for analysts, maybe not fun for people, executives and decision yes. makers, but yeah, I mean, from, you know, retail, wholesale, retail, wholesale, hyperscale, you know, to, you know, what do you do now? So what we've done just to, is take um, more emphasis on, on hyper, no, I shouldn't say that. What we've done is take wholesale and actually bring it back to retail. So there's the retail and retail plus, which used to be wholesale or enterprise wholesale. And then we've taken hyperscale and separated that into edge hyperscale and hyperscale. So just think slightly smaller hyperscale and then, you know, mega hyperscale. Um, and this taxonomy, you know, updates we're doing almost every 18 months. We finished this one, I don't know, six to eight months ago. And now this AI stuff might may force us to do another update sooner than later. Um, but right now we'll put the AI stuff in 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 edge hyperscale, hyperscale, wherever yeah. we, we feel. So yeah, I think that the, the industry continues to mature and develop to the point where simple simple categories just aren't going to cut it right they're not going to be useful you have to be much more um you know i think specific um or more granular and, and that just means more categories and we feel back to earlier points not to you know to to repeat myself um we feel that that's our advantage is that we're able to that being maybe even a little counterintuitively because we're old school and uh manual we're able to pivot faster than say data oriented and 
uh, you know, newer software. school kind of approaches. Yeah. So very software yeah, and we, databases. Yeah. So <laughs> so we can do that and and get in there and and you know it's it's far easier to re re-engineer an Excel sheet than a software application. So <laughs> so I, I, yeah. I feel like there's an infographic coming at some point that explains all these new tiers and levels it, of divisions. Yeah, I think that'll be there. actually quite useful. <laughs> you'll see it. You'll see it next month. So uh, yeah. we've already presented that. Yeah, we presented it. I think for the first time in July in Singapore we, when we did our mm -hmm. client event. So that taxonomy is out there. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's a boy. It's a work in progress yeah. because things are changing so much faster than they used to. Speaking of next month, I mean, so next month is your yeah. flagship early event. So it's the, I believe it's the fourth edition, even though there was a two year hiatus with COVID. <laughs> um, so technically, yeah. it is a sixth edition. I mean, it's over five years. Yeah. Um, but uh, tell us more about the event. I mean, what's, what differentiates this event from other events? Mm -hmm. uh, what can people expect? Um, you're moving venues as well and not being bougie at all with what you chose. <laughs> um, so, I mean, go, go on. Tell us about the event. Yeah, so you're absolutely right with the math. Um, sixth edition, but you know, it's it's the sixth year, but we had two cancels in in twenty and and twenty one. We did bring it back just in time last year. Uh, moved it to the fall. Um, but yeah, it's so this is our fourth actual event. Um, you know, it's you and and it is both a you know our vision is to create you know an executive summit for the industry as well as, you know, um, something for us to, to serve our clients uh, and to share, frankly, um, you know, kind of what we, you know, share our research with the industry, um, because obviously we're, we're big supporters of this industry and, and where it's going. So, yeah, it's, it's a, so fundamentally we want to create an executive summit, a little, you know, we're not, we're not trying to build an expo, you know, we're not trying to get into big, big, huge exhibit halls. It's meant to be more intimate, collegial, uh, good environment for, you know, interacting one-on-one -on -one meetings without getting too overwhelming. Um, so, you know, participation is from, you know, um, top level decision makers. It's always going to have an operating executive focus. We do not charge operating executives. They are the um, um, the main attraction, so to speak. Uh, the, event, the event is built for, the, for and around them. So they're, you know, um, the other parts of the ecosystem across finance, real estate, and say technology equipment vendors, um, you know, come because they want to interact uh, and hear from those kinds of people. Uh, so we felt that that was the, you know, in creating the event, you know, you know, when you ask us kind of what inspired us, what, you know, why did we create it? We felt that the industry does, uh, and I know you have an event as well. <laughs> there are a lot of events out there, but not a lot of them are, you know, we we felt a lot of them kind of move over time to become a bit more salesy and a little bit more, I don't, I don't know what the word is, transactional. Um, but ours is meant to be, you know, intimate and supported by grounded third-party independent research, which is, you know, surprise us. <laughs> so, yeah, so we kind of provide the context and the backdrop for a discussion about where the industry is and where it's going. That's another thing we felt mm -hmm. that other events didn't do. They didn't provide a great narrative around kind of, you know, what's, you know, you know, what are we talking about this event? What is, you know, what are the important themes that need to be discussed and debated, uh, argued over? Um, and we try to provide a venue for that. So we feel that we have the best content uh, out of all the events, uh, all the events. And, and this is, you know, all the events in the industry are extremely useful, helpful, we attend them. It's nothing, you know, to say negative about those events. We just feel that we serve a different purpose and that's mm -hmm. our value. Um, and yeah, we hope that it's, you know, over time, we hope it can be the kind of the go-to event when people say, hey, that's the event where we can meet, you know, where we can network, meet important people, get business done uh, and learn something about the industry and be in an environment where there is serious conversation about, you know, uh, about what's, what's, what's going on uh, for the mm -hmm. sector uh, and if that happens you know we feel we've done our job uh, and we can also yeah and, and and promote the um you know uh provide a venue for for information and again the kind of the other events in the past that that have inspired us we're always built on that that you know that idea that we talked about earlier not idea but that that reality i should say which was that there was always been you know, a shortage of information about the industry. And for the industry to grow, there needs to be more information. There needs to be a conversation. There needs to be, 
um, you know, a narrative. Uh, and so we try to create, you know, our stream. Um, you know, we're not going to be the only one, uh, but we hope we can be one of the best and the one that people look to. Yeah. I mean, healthy competition is always good as well. So there, mm -hmm. there will always be new things popping up. Uh, but that's part of the game. But um, I, I think what you have is, and what you just said is very right. It's it's all about the content, providing that avenue for people to talk. Um, and it's, mm -hmm. in this case, really is not so much about having an expo and having to build a hundred stands um, to make an event. Um, that, that's when the event kind of loses itself um, a little bit. And keeping them niche and smaller mm -hmm. as well. Um, I mean, mm -hmm. in a day you can get through, well, in your case, in a day and a half, you can get through... Mm -hmm. 300, 400 delegates very easily. We can't get through a thousand, two thousand people mm -hmm. um, that easily, even with apps and stuff, which are very annoying for some people as well, um, as they say. So something like you said, closed doors, behind doors, um, really content-driven, content-focused. And um, and I remember last year, I mean, last mm -hmm. year I sat in one of your sessions. Um, I can't remember who was on the panel, to be honest, but I know the four guys on your panel, mm -hmm. it was you that shared it. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, it was amazing. It was 25 minutes. I wrote more than a thousand words in notes. And that thing just came alive because what they were said, what they were saying was first it was direct to the point. There was no going around the bush. Um, no, mm. like, oh, we are great, we do this, we build this and this here and stuff. And mm -hmm. all that part was cut out. So I thought that was very, very clever um in terms of uh, agendas being put together. Um and secondly, it's the people that actually matter saying things, things that are new, saying things that are controversial. Um, and things that people listen to. So mm -hmm. I, th I thought it was very, very clever yeah. um, at the time. So if people want to hear more about the event or more, learn more about the event and register, um, how how can they reach out to you? Yeah, uh, October. So I'll just share the dates. October 4. Sorry, October 4th to 5th. Um, yeah, that's a good date. Toronto. Share, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. October 4th to 5th, Toronto in Canada. Um, Two-day event. Uh, we have a separate event site, uh, but you can link to it from our website, structureresearch.net or structureresearch.io. Uh, the event website is infrastructuresummit.io. So just those two words, .io. Um, information there, operating executives, if you're listening, um, complimentary registration. If you can't figure it out on the site, just send us a note. We can get you registered. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, all the information is there, agenda speakers. Yeah, I'd say we're... 70% through the agenda, um, getting a little last minute on the last part. Last minute surprises. Um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, it's coming together well and, you know, hope to see you there. And and like I said, it's it's definitely a unique and different event. Uh, and, and hopefully, you know, we, we, you know, can leave attendees with, you know, some some key takeaways and, and, and a good productive few days and also also some fun. It doesn't, just so people know, I always make this joke. I don't, I don't know, it's not necessarily a joke, but it doesn't <laughs> snow in October in Canada. <laughs> it was actually very um, hot last year. <laughs> yeah. Um, this, this, as you know, the summers have been getting a little longer. So we're, yeah, we're pretty comfortable that uh, that actually early October will be very pleasant. Well, I highly recommend it. And I, I think this is going to be my fourth one. So I've been to the one previous yeah to COVID and then the last two mm. um, after COVID it's always been really good and I can't wait to see this year's because I know it's going to be bigger and better um, but still with the same content at the heart um, mm. and the same functionality um, but Phil we are done to the last two questions you probably you, you definitely mm. have better things to do than carrying on talking to me um, <laughs> so one question just going back to to that talent co conversation around tracking mm. your talent if we have young researchers or aspiring researchers mm. that want to get into the researching world and in this case just infrastructure world um what um what advice would you have for them that are just starting out now yeah i i mean there's so many different angles and approaches to you know in 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 terms of how you can go about this if i were to do this again and i did debate this right so back to like i wanted to leave you know, I didn't like the direction where we're going. I was thinking maybe we could, maybe I could um, start a research firm or maybe I could go work for an operator for a couple of years and then start a research firm. I had my own reasons why that didn't work out for me. But um, if you're young and, and interested in this kind of work, I would say try to get firsthand industry experience. I mean, that's really helpful. Um, you know, I feel like I've almost got industry experience without actually working for an operator in so many ways. Um, but nothing beats kind of being on the ground um, with an operator and, and kind of getting that perspective. Um, so that would be one way to go about it. That's that that I think would make a, a candidate interesting and different from some of the other people that 
um, get into the industry. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, fundamentally, it's it's about intellectual curiosity. There's so many ways you can build that, whether it's, you know, journalism like yourself, um, you know, you know, you know, working as a research associate, working for a data firm, you know, there's there's any any, any type of that where you can maintain, you know, even people have crossed over from finance um, because they have experience kind of looking at data or trying to understand company filings uh, are not afraid of long, boring pages and pages of information to dig through you know <laughs> if you have, if you have the, yeah if you have the patience for that and an intellectual curiosity however you decide to go and develop it is a pathway to doing this but there's nothing like i said nothing beats being involved in the industry uh to get a passion because ultimately i think the one the people who last doing what i do have to develop that passion and interest oh, yeah. if you don't it's not gonna it's not gonna work out if, if you're doing it for the money it's just one it's not a yeah. long run kind of thing it's um you might be very successful and all that and of course there's a lot of people like that out there um but the passion always comes through uh, not only for the longevity of the business and the person behind it um but also on the quality of the work that comes out of it mm -hmm. um so for, for me it is it is all about passion and passion sometimes does override um the cash side of things but of course i mean as i said at the start paying the bills is very important um <laughs> but uh, there, there's a balance that there exists in that uh, and then Phil, so last question, which I ask everyone, what's your favorite quote by who and uh, and why? Yeah, I, I looked at that um, question when you sent me the sketch and I don't know if I was supposed to say that, but <laughs> uh, but um, I couldn't come up with anything because I've just never been kind of that that, um, you know, you know, have a have a poster of a of a, of a you know, framed quote on the wall by you know such, such no such and yeah i just no i've not, just never been that but having said that you know uh a, a message you know that many people have said um you know has has stuck with me uh when i first came across it within the context of this industry three words innovate or die so like that that was it like i i wouldn't credit that to anybody but since a lot of people have have used it but you know, I, I've applied that, you know, uh, to the context uh, of what we do. Um, and I think that's an important thing to keep in mind. If you're not constantly innovating, and Jabez and I kind of use that when we joke around, right? We're like, yeah, yeah don't forget, don't forget, innovate or die. Innovate if you don't innovate, we're going to be dead, <laughs> right? So, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd say, you know, keeping it within this discussion and this business, that's that's the one thing that I, that I would refer to. No, again, it's short, simple, but it's the very, the very true. Yeah. Um, I was going to suggest it to maybe use it as a tagline for the company, but maybe that's a little bit rough um, for someone that doesn't know the history behind <laughs> the tagline. <laughs> um, but uh, well, Philbert Sites, Managing Director of Structured Search, thank you so much for talking to me. I think this was very insightful to get to know more about you and then also structures on journey um, over the years, over the last 11 years. And let's hope there's another, in, 20, in another 11 years, we'll celebrate the 22nd anniversary. Oh. Um, and uh, maybe we'll do this podcast live, like face-to-face, -face, which is something that we can do <laughs> now. But anyway, uh, we kind of oh. use this infrastructure that we write about. Uh, but Phil, thank you so much. Hey, thanks for having me. This was fun. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in. And don't forget to review and share this episode and follow the Great Business Minds podcast on all your favorite streaming and social media platforms. You can find the links in the podcast description. Thank you again to our sponsor, Brescal & Co., a leading award-winning City of London law firm internationally recognized for its expertise in the digital infrastructure industry, as well as the telecoms and tech sector more broadly. Feel free to reach out to them at www.prescal.com. Do subscribe to the podcast and we invite you back again for the next episode of the definitive show for the business of digital infrastructure, the Great Business Minds podcast. See you then.